Blessed be the God of love. Amen. The religion writer and well-known Episcopalian uh, Diana Butler Bass is encouraging Episcopalians uh, during Lent who use social media to post on Facebook or Twitter uh, nuggets of wisdom they hear during sermons or in services with the hashtag, which is the pound sign if you don't know what that means, uh, with, with the hashtag Sunday Wisdom. Sunday Wisdom. Sunday Wisdom. So if you're on social media and you hear any wisdom, I encourage you to post it. If you hear no wisdom at all in this sermon, I encourage you to make some up <laughs> and uh, post it and just say, this is what I heard at St. John's, even if you only heard it in your head, and it's wisdom, that'll count. Uh, speaking of Diana Butler Bass, I also noticed her and several people on Twitter making a note that uh, today is the day that we hear this famous verse from the Gospel of John, John 3.16, which is often called the Gospel in miniature, for God so loved the world, that everything you need to know about Jesus Christ is contained in that one verse. And she was noting, for uh, all you numerological folks out there, that 316 was being read on 316. So whatever cosmic significance there is to that, I don't know, because people are also noticing that Easter falls on 420, which is a completely different celebration that you will not encounter at St. John's on 420. Google it. But what I really want to talk about this morning is Romans and the reading we heard from Romans. Because I believe that uh, much of the history of the church comes down to the very issue that Paul is identifying in this passage from Romans. The issue of belief versus the law. St. Paul is arguing in this passage that righteousness, which is right relationship with God, is based on believing in God, trusting in God's promise, not on following the law. Meaning, in this instance, all the laws identified in the Torah. And part of his argument is based on the notion that as people who are not Jewish begin to follow Christ, do you say you must then follow all the Jewish laws in order to be righteous? And he's making a point about what is righteousness. Righteousness look all the way back to Abraham when there was no law and say that righteousness is based on believing in God. It is based on trusting God. Which means, as he makes clear in the passage, that our righteousness is not based on our works. We cannot earn righteousness. 
That's his whole thing about wages versus a gift, right? Through our works, we do not earn righteousness. I would say that much of the history of Christianity uh, and of the church is caught in attention over this very issue that Paul is trying to uh, identify. It's a very radical passage in many ways. Because so much of the history of Christianity in the church are questions about status. Who is in? Who is out? Who does God love? Who does God hate? And people wanting to identify their relationship with God based on it being different from someone else. And so much of that status comes down to how people are doing works. They're evaluating their own works or doing a modern version of following the law. And if you look at the contrast between what Paul is saying in this passage about righteousness only being about belief and trust in God's promise, contrasted with how the majority, or no, I don't want to say the majority, but contrasted with how many Christians have behaved over history, I think you could sum it up in the line from that famous song, I Fought the Law. You all know that famous song, I Fought the Law? I, I grew up with the Clash version, but there are earlier versions. I fought the law and the law won. I think if you asked St. Paul, well, since you wrote this letter to the Romans 2,000 years ago, how would you sum things up? I fought the law and the law won. That seems to be the fundamental issue that we have in our faith. And it's a particular struggle for us Uh, in America and in our modern day. It is very easy to become consumed with earning and deserving. But we are simply being asked to trust God. You know, here in Marin and, and more and more throughout the country, you hear people saying they're spiritual but not religious. I think what they're actually saying is, oh, I trust God. I'm just not so sure about this institution that seems to be focused on whether or not I'm following their rules. Right? In some ways, the people who are, you know, going up to find God on Mount Tam are sometimes more following St. Paul than some of us gathered here in church. The challenge then for the church is to try and show how this institution is about being the place where you encounter that relationship. Where you come to give thanks. Where you come to express that belief. Where you come to show and live into that trust. There's a meme going around on the internet right now under the title... Things Jesus Never Said. And it shows a famous painting of the feeding of the 5,000. And under it, 
it has the words Jesus is saying. And Jesus in this uh, image is saying, I can't feed all these people. It will destroy their incentive to better themselves. There you have it, right there. The tension between our economic and social life and the life God calls us to. Loving God with all our heart, mind, body. Loving our neighbor as ourself. That's the tension right there. And in this country, much of it has come down to, uh, perhaps you've all heard of the Protestant work ethic, which initially was a notion that we are saved by grace and uh, in gratitude for that, we do good works. And that's really the idea, right? You don't follow the law because it's the law. You do the kinds of things that are in the law because that's what you do when you're expressing the life that God calls you to live. But over time, this Protestant work ethic became a kind of thing, these are the things you do to earn status or to show that you are worthy of God's love. And in versions of Calvinism, it became the point where the way you could identify whether someone might be predestined for heaven is because they had social status, they had wealth, They had all these things that showed that somehow they were righteous, which really ends up twisting everything, right? And refocusing it back onto the law. And it becomes an issue of uh, your work shows your righteousness, which is not what Paul is saying here. The tension here is so much of our life works this way But the economy of God runs counter to the economy of earning or deserving what you have. That is why the gospel is often good news to people who are poor and don't have opportunity. In the economy of God, there is no such thing as pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It cannot be done. Because in the economy of God, God does all the work. God reaches out in love. We respond by trusting God, by listening and believing in God's promise. It's a totally different than how we live so much of our lives, especially in this country. And I find it very hard to transition. I think that's part of why it's hard to be a Christian, because some of what the gospel is calling us to do is so different than how we live most of our life. My daughter, Taya, is visiting from boarding school on spring break. And last night, she was leaving the house to go out and spend the night out uh, with friends and stay overnight at a friend's house. 
What do you think is the last thing I said to her before she walked out the door? Be good. (laughs) Right? Follow the moral law. What I think I was really saying was, don't do anything I might have done when I was your age. (laughs) That's really what parents do, right? Be good, right? It's so easy to fall into that pattern of... Uh, behaviors and rewards, but we're being called to transform things quite radically in this passage. And this holy season of Lent, I think, is a really good time for us to just try to uh, step back a little, right? When you talk to many people at St. John's about, like, you know, what what would you change in your life? Often they say, I'd be less busy. And part of Lent is a time to maybe be less busy and try to live into God's economy a little more and uh, maybe a little less into the social, financial, and political economy that rules so much of our lives. It's a time to enter into a spiritual economy to enter into God's inclusive love, a time to live into the invitation of this passage, which is quite radical. It's very inclusive. What is the one requirement to be righteous? It's not being Jewish. It's not being Gentile. It's not being Baptist or Episcopalian or whatever. Right? Paul even uses the word the ungodly. The only requirement is believing in God and trusting in God. And Lent is a time for us to live into that. This past summer, when we were on our pilgrimage to uh, our sister parish in Malawi, Africa, one of the things that really struck me there was it seemed to me especially encountering all these people in church and in their daily lives, that life for them begins with praising God and everything else flows out from that. They begin with praising God. And then their good works flow from that. They give thanks to God and then they go help other people. These are people living in a situation that would have me going, why me, Lord? Why do I live in this? These are people, some of the hardest working people I've ever met, who live in mud huts with no water or electricity. So the economy of earning your way out of that doesn't exist. But they begin with praising God. In the uh, season of Lent, we're taking two minutes of silence after the sermon. And I just want to invite you during that time to focus on trusting God, believing in God's promise, especially believing in God's love for you, because that's the other side of this. 
is we often get caught up thinking we have to earn God's love. Or that somehow we don't deserve God's love. We don't get a choice. God acted first. God acted in love and reaches out to love in love for all of us. And we need to decide if we're going to respond to that love by trusting it. I think in this season of Lent, the true song of all Christians is I fought the law and God won. Amen.